0: Well, thank you to uh, Ben and Katie, and thank you to all who've been serving us in a variety of ways already this evening. Uh, Why don't we pause to pray uh, before we come before God's Word? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who has not left himself anonymous in our world, that you have made yourself known for the world that you have made through the prophets, and those who have written down your words for us to hold in our hands and understand. And Lord, thank you that most clearly you have spoken through Christ Jesus, your son. Thank you that he has invited us to know him and follow him. Lord, help us to do that as we grasp your words, as we seek to live it out for your glory. Amen. Well, good evening, and uh, welcome back to our series in this book of Colossians. Last week, we were thinking together about Christ Jesus, the one who is supreme, the perfect image of the invisible God, the one who we must behold in this world, and also the one that we must hold on to. Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we must hold on to Him. And this week we arrive at a passage which kind of helps us to get under the bonnet of what Paul's ministry is, the work to which he has been called by Jesus. What is at the heart of that? So I've titled this sermon with the question What is the secret of gospel ministry? What is the secret of gospel ministry? I remember well uh, beginning my internship here at Cornerstone. Uh, Rue and I were interns together some 13 years ago. Uh, We were affectionately known as the Chuckle Brothers (laughs) in the office. Um, And if you want to feel old, 13 years ago, that's when Chelsea was at the top of the league. That's when the band One Direction began, and Apple launched the first iPad. So that's how long ago we're talking now. Uh, And this, this kind of idea came to mind because we've just had a few days away as a staff team. We had a little retreat last week, precious time together as a team. And 13 years ago, I remember with anticipation going to my first away day, just a kind of daytime in those days, but it was with the Cornerstone staff team and the elders thinking, now I will find out what the secret is. What is the secret of Christian ministry? What is it that makes Cornerstone work? What are the real nuts and bolts behind a church like this? What makes it grow? In all honesty, in our time together, we ate a lot of cake, uh, drank a lot of tea, we read Scripture, we prayed for one another, and it was great. But there was no great secret to what Christian ministry was, you know, countless books have been written about what is the secret to success, to growth? How do you win at life? How do you make your first million pounds? The whole self-help industry uh, is a multi-billion pound world of opportunity for anybody who'd like to sell their ideas and principles for a success. And it is often abused in our world, sadly. What is the secret? You see, in our passage this evening, Paul tells us what the secret of Christian life and ministry is, and it's an open secret for all to see. The secret, I'm afraid to say, is all about struggling, suffering, and to find joy in that place of struggling well. Paul calls us to rejoice in our struggles. You probably noticed it there in verse 24, where he says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. He's thinking about the church there in in Colossae, what I'm suffering for you, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And then later in chapter 2 in verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, struggling for you. The truth is, no one likes to struggle. I don't think there are any statements more true than a statement like that in our world, in our society today. The word struggle almost feels like a swear word in our world. We do everything in our power to reduce our struggles, to overcome them, to beat them. Yet struggle is something we cannot shake. Struggle hits us every single day let me just name a few of them, financial struggles, this cost of living crisis, rising interest rates. We have relational struggles, family trouble. Maybe it's we're, we're longing for something, we're longing for marriage, we're longing for children. We're just longing for friendship. We have our health struggles. We all know that and feel that, don't we? We've all got an expiry date, every single one of us. Things that we used to do, and now we find harder. You know, now I can't even put my socks on in the morning without making a noise. <laughs> Physical struggles. We have our mental struggles, don't we, as well? Low moods, anxiety, depression, stress, and of course, spiritual struggles. Where is God in the midst of all of this stuff that we're struggling with, in the midst of all of our mess? And our default, if you're anything like me in these struggles, is to wallow. Very good at that. But Paul calls us not to wallow, but to rejoice. And so the question we're asking really this evening is, is, how do we do that? How can we rejoice in the struggles that we all face? And our three points this evening are, are all framed positively because I, I want us to think together that we, we can do this. It feels impossible, doesn't it? How can you rejoice in struggles? But you can rejoice because it's a possibility. And depending on what our, our relationship with, with struggles is, uh, the struggles that we might face currently, I want each of us to see that this isn't an unrealistic concept, it's not a kind of conceptual faith idea, but this can become a reality for us, for each one of us. You can rejoice in your struggles. And so the first point this evening is this, you can rejoice in your struggles by focusing on the ministry of Jesus I read this week about an elderly missionary who came to visit a youth group one evening. And as they they spoke to the youth group, they, they kept on saying again and again and again, young people, there is one thing I want you to take away from this evening. If you listen to nothing else, listen to this. Please remember this one point. And the young people are sitting there thinking, will you just get on with it? Tell us what it is. The one thing that you need to remember from everything I say to this evening, the missionary didn't say much else than say this, he told them, you can forget everything I say, but don't forget this, the joy of the Lord is your strength, when the joy goes, the strength goes, the joy of the Lord is your strength, when the joy goes, the strength goes. It is the joy of the Lord, the joy of God, which gives us strength to go on in the midst of trials, in the midst of struggles and sufferings. Paul wants us to put into practice what he's already been teaching us in in this chapter, at looking at Jesus, beholding Jesus as supreme over all things, holding on to him, we will be able to rejoice in the best of times and in the worst of times. This is a consistent theme in Paul's writing through the epistles. Time and time again, we can find joy in God in the struggles and the suffering of life. It is those people who have a high view of God who can rejoice in their sufferings. You know, I think sometimes we can just think it's those kind of superhuman Christians, those prayer warriors, those people who seem so strong in their faith, who don't seem to be rattled by the cares of life like I'm rattled. But listen to this from the early church, those fledgling Christian believers, as they were persecuted for what they believed. Here's some verses from Acts chapter 5 as we look at that early church. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Wow. They see the privilege of being counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. In our passage in Colossians, Paul's struggles here is double edged. He struggles for the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He wants to preserve and protect and pass on that. But he's also struggling for the Colossians, the church. He rejoices because he sees the privilege of struggling, and he sees that these struggles are key in his ministry. Paul's sufferings, they aren't just an accidental diversion from God's plan. They are the plan. His sufferings are key because they are the means in which God uses to extend his gospel message. This is how he grows the church. And this is how God grows Paul as a leader. So look down with me again at verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. His suffering is not primarily for his own gain, but for others. It's so striking, isn't it, in like our me-centered world, where it's, it's all about the individual, it's all about us. Paul's doing something purely for the benefit of those around him. And actually, I think that sounds uniquely Christian. Someone once said to me that the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Paul is suffering for the progress and joy and growth, yes, of the church in Colossians, but also for those who would come in. Now, this next phrase in verse 24 is certainly something that needs some attention this evening. I've been wrestling with it a little bit over the last few weeks. And I want us to carefully consider what this passage, which is a tricky little passage, what it says, but also what it's not saying. So let's just read again from the beginning of verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh... What is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church? Okay, so what does he mean by that? Well, firstly, Paul is not saying that Jesus' death on the cross was in any way weak or insufficient. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out as he died, It is finished done, dealt with, completed. And some would would sadly take this verse to say that that Jesus' death on the cross, well, it gets us most of the way of getting to be saved, to be right with him, maybe 90% of the way there, but that there's still this little bit of saving work which is on us, our work for us to do that is simply untrue. The hymn writer of a hymn that we we do sing here puts it, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It's all about Jesus, it's his work, his perfect once for all sacrifice which brings us to God. He is the one who declares us right before him. So so what does he mean here? Well, what what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is all of the future suffering of Christian believers through time. Christ has invited us to share in the privilege of suffering for him. The Christian life was, was never meant to be a walk in the park. And we we talk about this a lot. We live in a time when when the church is, is no longer seen as good. By many, the church is seen as abhorrent. I wonder if you're a Christian here this evening, what friendship groups you feel that you sit on the edge of because of what you believe about God and what others might think you believe about them. You know, as we we struggle with this, it can be as if we want to take a pair of scissors to God's words and carefully cut out those passages which feel difficult, those passages which seem offensive or culturally insensitive for the world today. Friends, keeping true to God and His Word, struggling, suffering, for Jesus will be a means of growth for us Paul has suffered for Jesus and for his church and he continues there in verse 24 for the sake of the body which is the church I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness Paul here is outlining his personal calling to be a minister. The literal translation of that word minister that we we use in our church, we see there in verse 25, is servant. Paul's highest calling is to be a servant of God. Those who minister to God's church are to be servants of God, servant leaders. You know, one of the the most special things I think about working for this church is that I am surrounded by leaders who serve, leaders who are just as comfortable scrubbing the carpets as they are on any platform. And you know, this applies to all of us in any role in service in the church. Our highest calling is to serve the people that God has placed in front of us. And sometimes this is a struggle. Sometimes people are not easy. And we can recognize that in ourselves, can't we? Someone said to me the other day, the only problem with going on holiday is that you have to take yourself with you. (laughs) We can be hard work. People can be hard work. And it's a struggle. But we struggle on for our progress and our joy in the church together, don't we? We can rejoice in our struggles as leaders, remembering that we have Jesus, King Jesus, as the ultimate example of what servant leadership looks like. He is our model. And as we share in his sufferings, we present the Word of God in all of its fullness. You can rejoice in your struggles by focusing on the, the ministry of Jesus. Secondly, you can rejoice in your struggles by focusing on the mystery. Just look down there once again at verse 26 the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. People are obsessed with mysteries, aren't they? You know, I love them. Netflix is full of true crime mystery solved, as well as fictional mystery dramas, the, the long list of suspects, twists and turns along the way. And then finally, the big reveal Who done it? And there is a sense that there is a mystery which is seen throughout the Bible. A promised one who would come to fulfill the promises of God. Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering servant. Elsewhere, he is called the Lamb of God, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lion of Judah, our perfect judge, King of kings. Or to use the language of Colossians, the image of the invisible God. All these and many, many more speak of a mystery which is to be revealed. And praise God that we today have the answer to this mystery because we know who done it Jesus. The mystery is that the Lord Jesus is now. In you. If you're a Christian, Christ is in you. He abides in you. He's not merely with you or beside you or above you or below you. Jesus lives in you. Christ in you. That's the ability to rejoice in our struggles. Christ in you. That's the assurance for those moments or seasons of doubt. Maybe it is in this this mystery where we find our meaning, our purpose today in our culture. Listen to this from uh, Peter Kreeft, a philosophy professor in the States, as he writes, our culture has filled our heads, but emptied our hearts, stuffed our wallets, but starved our wonder. It has fed our thirst for facts, but not for meaning or mystery. It produces nice people, not heroes. As someone who's involved in in our kind of children's and youth ministry here in the church, one of the dangers of Christian leadership is that we can can teach the next generation, the, the children and young people, that our teaching can end up just being like information Transfer. We try and put the Bible on a little USB chip and stick it into their neck and say, download here. It can be a little like that. Information transfer rather than helping people gaze in awe and wonder at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the mystery, the mystery that, that he died to save a wretch like me. And our sin is not a mystery to him. Yet he perfectly loves us. And the posture the Lord Jesus takes before us is that his arms are open wide for us. As his arms were stretched out on the cross, his arms are open wide for us to bring our doubts, bring our questions, bring our hurts, bring our heavy hearts and to run into his arms. That's Paul's ambition. You see that picked up there as well in verse 2 of chapter 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We can rejoice in our struggles by looking at the ministry of Jesus and the mystery of Jesus. And thirdly, you can rejoice in your struggles by focusing on maturity. <coughs> Look down at verse 28. And uh, to do what that little youth group didn't like when the missionary visited, this is probably, this verse is probably the most important thing to take away this evening. Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ so powerfully works in me. He is the one we proclaim. We don't proclaim our own ourselves, our own ideologies, our own solutions. We proclaim Christ and we must do that to ourselves. Preach to yourself. Proclaim him to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his, his book on spiritual depression, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life? is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. It's interesting, isn't it? We need to remind ourselves daily of the truths of God, that God loves us, that he sent us his son, that Jesus died for us, that God has made us his children, that he looks after us, that he's for us. No one can be against us. That he lives in us, banishing our loneliness. That he turns bad things into good things. And that he loves us more than any of the unkindness we experience in this world. That he comforts and heals us when we are wounded. And that he's prepared a wonderful place for us in heaven. Hallelujah. What these great truths do is that they open up for us a relationship with God. So it's more than knowledge. It's more than wisdom. It's a relationship with God. That is where true knowledge and wisdom lie. And so each of us are called to know these truths, to grow in them, and to pass them on. Teaching, admonishing. Warning, that word also means. As we mature in the faith ourselves, presenting others mature. This is Paul's highest calling and it's, it's ours too. You know, I just wonder even this evening, is God calling you to take your place in teaching others? Presenting others mature in Christ, our children Our young people in your connect group, meeting up with another Christian believer to read scripture together and to pray, or with somebody who's yet to believe. This is our highest calling to struggle on. And believe me, at times we can feel that struggle. As a youth leader, I feel that struggle when our young people are walking through the painful valleys and experiences of life, of despair. It hurts me, and I know it hurts them. I think this is the kind of struggle that Paul's talking about here, but he knows that it's worth it, because God's working. And we can have joy in the midst of struggle because we know that God is working. That's, that's such, such fuel for the fire, isn't it? Have you looked around Cornerstone recently and seen how God's working in this church? It's absolutely astonishing. God is continuing to bring people in, people who are hungry for God and his word, people who are longing to grow in maturity of faith. It's wonderful. We get a front row seat of what God is doing Paul continues in verse one of chapter two, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom wisdom. And knowledge. Norman Grubb was a a missionary who wrote the biography of his father in law. His father in law was C.T. Studd. That name might be familiar to some of us. Studd was a a great sportsman, he was a cricketer, who then went to be a missionary. And he lived for many years in, in Africa, in Sudan and Congo. And as a family, they used to get their post letters and parcels and things like that every two weeks. Sometimes in their letters, they would get quite a lot of money, would come in the mail. And Stud would say to his family, Bless God forever. He knows what a bunch of grumblers we are, and he sent enough to keep us quiet. Once uh, a lot of money didn't come in to the post, Stud said, Hallelujah, he thinks we are growing in grace and learning to trust him. (laughs) And one day, nothing. Nothing at all came in the post, and he said, "Hallelujah! Praise the Lord forever. We must be in the kingdom of God now. For the king, in the kingdom, there is neither eating nor drinking, nothing but righteousness, peace, and joy." Now I'm sure there was a tinge of humour in what he said, um, but don't miss the unwavering belief in the sovereignty of God. Friends, we look at the suffering in the world, the natural disasters, the pain we see around us, the pain we feel in our own hearts, and yet we know that God is good. He is still sovereign. Whatever may be happening around us, we weep together with those who mourn, and we weep ourselves for the pain we face. But we know that God is good. As we go through life, there will be pain, but we also have a joy that is deeper than the pain. Let me close with the words of verse four and five of chapter two, and then I'll pray, knowing that in a room of people this size, there will be those who are struggling this evening. Know that God is here by His Spirit, He's ministering to our hearts by spirit, through his words. He is good and he is kind. Paul writes, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Friends, what will you do this evening, this week, this year to preserve your joy in the Lord's? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the work that you did in Paul's life, how you called him on that Damascus road. And Lord, the doors of ministry opportunities that you opened for him. Though we recognize that each one of us who trusts in you, all we have to do is to put our hand into your hand to be safely led on through those doors. Lord, I pray for anyone this evening who is not confident of where they stand before you. Lord, would they have heard this evening an invitation to come to trust in a trustworthy God, in a savior who has done it all for us. And for those of us maybe who have pain or in our hearts feeling the heaviness of struggle, maybe in the workplace, in our families, or just in our own minds, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, would you come and minister to us? Would you shine a light on the hope of the gospel so that we might trust you as a sovereign God who is with us in the fire and the flood? Help us, though we pray.